Hello, hello, and welcome back to Lily Does Her Best, the podcast where I am educating you and myself on uh, the wonders of psychology, physiology, um, philosophy, and any other subjects that I can bring myself to do. Uh, I also complain about coffee and um, try to have a real-world application to the things that I'm trying to talk about. So um, if you've heard my podcast previously, you'll notice that there is a little bit of a different outline this time. Um, And if you're trying to listen to the first two episodes, you can't. Um, I just wanted to let you guys know that I've unpublished the first two episodes, uh, mainly because um, the feedback that I've gotten on the first two, it's not um, bad. It's just that it was my first two episodes and I literally made a mess of myself the whole time. Um, Not to say it wasn't good, not to say it wasn't quality, but I just feel like um, the niche that I've finally fit myself into um, doesn't really apply to those first two and I'd hate for that to come across when anybody new comes to listen to the podcasts. So... And to add a little bit of background, I originally started the podcast with uh, the intent to discuss my therapy, which I still fully intend to do because I need that stigma to be taken away um, just from society. Like, you know, everyone should be able to go to therapy. Everyone can go to therapy. Um, And I wanted to kind of remove the stigma that comes behind it. But I have found that I enjoy learning about psychology as much as I do, um, like, being a part of it, like, being in therapy. Um, So, yeah, that's just kind of a little bit of a background as to why you only see episodes three and four right now. And uh, welcome to episode five. And today we're going to talk about the man who who studied man's best friend. Uh, That would be Ivan Pavlov, who is a Russian physiologist. So again, I'm pulling this from my Psych 101 book, and I am going to get you guys the author's name, I promise, because if I do not cite my sources, I'm almost positive that later on down the line, I will get sued. (laughs) So, but the book is Psych 101, and I got it off of Amazon, and I have it on my Kindle, and so that's what I use for reference and for notes to talk about these um, scientists. So um, Ivan Pavlov, again, is a Russian physiologist. Uh, He was around from 1890 to 1924, and he worked at the Imperial Medical Academy as a professor of physiology. Um, In his first 10 years at the academy, he began to turn his attention towards the correlation between salivation and digestion. Uh, through a surgical procedure, he was able to study the <clears throat> the gastrointestinal gastrointestinal secretions of an animal during its lifespan within normal conditions. Basically, saying that he was trying to figure out at what point um, during you know hunger or you know being satisfied uh, does salivation occur? Can it occur randomly, or does it only occur when they're hungry, or does it occur at you know you know? So. Um, he conducted experiments to show the relationship between the auton aut- ooh that is going to be a hard word to bite uh aut- 
autonomic functions and the nervous system. This led to his discovery of what is called the conditioned reflex, um, which he was able to use. Uh, so by 1930, he was able to use that uh, conditioned reflex to explain uh, human psychoses. Uh, so for those of you who are already snoozing, let me explain. A conditioned reflex is a response that becomes associated with a previously unrelated stimulus as a result of pairing the stimulus with another stimulus, normally yielding a response. Again, it's all very like technical. Um, so now that like the technical jibber jabber has been laid out for it uh we're going to dive deep into the classical conditioning that follows conditioned reflex um in essence the idea of classical conditioning is simply learning something by association and uh, pavlov identified four basic principles to classical conditioning so there is the unconditioned stimulus uh, which is when the stimulus automatically triggers some type of response. So like, for example, uh, if pollen makes a person sneeze, then pollen is the unconditioned stimulus. It's uh, naturally occurring. Um, the unconditioned response is the response that is automatically triggered after the unconditioned stimulus is applied. So in this case, if pollen makes a person sneeze, then the sneeze is the unconditioned response. So stimulus is pollen, response is the sneeze. Uh, these two are considered the most natural unconscious action and reaction that we can find. So it's um, something that just naturally happens, you know. Uh, you hear a firework go off immediately, or you hear like a big bang go off, uh, you think fireworks. Or, you know, if you're in a different neighborhood, you think gun. But <laughs> anyways, um, so and then the condition stimulus uh, is the neutral stimulus that becomes associated with an uh, unconditioned stimulus, which creates a conditioned response. So it would be as if, like, um, well, I'll go, I'll go to the example right now. But um, <laughs> the conditioned response is the response learned from the once neutral stimulus, the unconditioned stimulus. Um, so with Ivan Pavlov, he was trying to find um, an association between uh, salivation and digestion, and he was researching dogs, and um, he's the one who studied man's best friend, and he noticed that, like, I think he was, like, he was doing a completely different experiment, which was really weird, and he noticed that every time any of his associates would go in to feed the dogs... Um, as soon as the dogs saw them, they would start to salivate. So they'd start to drool and, like, get, like, excited. Um, and he was like, well, I wonder if it's the white coats that they see. And they associate that with food because the people in the white coats were the only ones that were bringing them the food, right? So um, the experiment uh, was, he named it, For Whom the Bell Tolls. So he conducts the conditioned response experiment. So before conditioning, um, the dogs would salivate at food. That's how he... So they were lab dogs. Um, they would salivate at food. They That's just the standard. So uh, that's the unconditioned stimulus and the unconditioned response. Unconditioned stimulus being the food and the unconditioned response being the salivation that the dogs would um, have when they saw the food. Now, uh, the neutral stimulus was a bell that he would ring every time. Uh, so he would ring the bell and nothing would happen to the dog. Why? Because they weren't able to associate the bell to food. 
Um, during the conditioning, though, what he would do is he would come into the room, ring the bell, lay the food down, and then create the salivation that he was expecting in the dogs. After the conditioning was done, he would ring the bell. So, like, he did this multiple times. He would, every time he'd bring the food in, he did it over time, over a period of time, where he'd ring the bell, bring food, dogs would salivate, eat the food. And did that so, so many times that it became conditioned. It became a conditioned response. So after the conditioning, he'd walk in, ring the bell, the dogs would salivate, and he would have no food. So that is the conditioned, uh, the classical conditioning that he uh, created for that. Um, so the progression was that, um, that over a period of time, any subject will begin to equate the sound of a bell or anything to the delivery of food or the delivery of anything really. So he kind of used that to explain the human psychosis. And, um, what was I going to say? Oh, so, um, his revelations on conditioning and learned responses, uh, played a major role in understanding behavioral modification in humans. Um, and it actually helped in advancing the treatment of like mental health issues such as panic disorders, anxiety disorders, and phobias. So um, it really helped open the door to that. But a funny little side note, I don't know if anybody has seen The Office and, you know, the dynamic duo Jim and Dwight. Um, so there is an episode, and I don't know which episode, and I forgot what season because I've rewatched it a million times, but... Um, there's an episode where Jim plays like the windows noise. Um, he plays like some noise on his computer and then offers Dwight a mint and then Dwight takes the mint. So over a period of time, um, Jim would play the noise, offer Dwight a mint and then Dwight would take the mint. Uh, and then at one point, Jim just played the sound and then Dwight immediately held his hand open and then Jim asked him what are you doing and Dwight's like huh I don't know he didn't realize it you know like he was like wow like I don't know what I'm doing and then suddenly he's like wow I got a really gross taste in my mouth he just felt really gross and it's because Jim had trained him basically he did classical conditioning to Dwight so that every time he'd hear a bell he'd want to take a mint uh, which is a Pavlovian uh, conditioning technique um, as I read into this like classical conditioning and I like did more notes on it uh, to see if I could find any more examples that you know could help me. Um, so I read on this website that, um, you know, there's acquisition, extinction, and uh, spontaneous recovery that are associated to class classical conditioning. So like acquisition is the initial stage of learning uh, the classical conditioning. So it's like, you know, when Jim initially taught Dwight to want a mint at the sound of a tone um that's the acquisition of the classical conditioning and then there's extinction so obviously after a period of time that classical conditioning is going to go extinct you know um 
he's he's not going to always every time he makes the sound Dwight's not always going to want a mint after that because if there's a period of time when the conditioning stops if it just if it decreases or it disappears the the stimulus is gone then um so does the conditioning um and that's normal okay because after you know it's kind of like when people say oh 21 days will make or break a habit or, you know, anything like that. People don't also take into consideration that if you do something for 21 days and you're conditioning yourself to do something for 21 days and then you just stop, guess what? After 21 days, it's not going to be a permanent thing. It's just something to help you get kickstarted to like put you on the path. It's not a permanent thing where after the 21 days, you're just automatically going to want to do the, you know, make or break the habits that you originally set out to make or break. So you need to be able to consistently do that. That's the whole point of conditioning yourself. Um, there is also spontaneous recovery. So sometimes a learned response can suddenly reemerge even after a period of extinction. Uh, spontaneous recovery is the reappearance of the conditioned response after a rest period or period of lessened response. So for example, imagine that after training a dog to salivate to the sound of a bell, you stop reinforcing the behavior and the response eventually becomes extinct. After a rest period during which the conditioned stimulus, which is the bell, is not presented, you suddenly ring the bell and the animal spontaneously recovers the previously re learned response. Um, if the conditioned stimulus and unconditioned stimulus are no longer associated, extinction will occur very rapidly after a spontaneous recovery. So um, basically, in order for there to be a spontaneous recovery, the two stimuli need to occur within the same time frame so like it you can't just ring a bell um and then not bring the food and then expect that the next time you ring a bell will create the salivation um it have to be like oh let's say it's been a rest period or it's been a long time and extinction has happened already um then you'd have to reintroduce the unconditioned stimulus and the conditioned stimulus so like the bell and the food you would have to bring them together in order for the spontaneous recovery to be successful in order for acquisition to be reintroduced Whew. that was a lot of notes <laughs> so um basically um there are tons of uh different experiments that have gone on after this because you know Ivan Pavlov couldn't have just put this out into the world and then nobody use it for their own benefit, of course. And one downside, okay, to this is that this can also be applied to uh, fear responses and aversions. And what clicked in my mind last night when I was doing notes on this was that this was probably used as the basis for... Um, aversion therapy that was going on back in like the 70s the 60s through the 80s um where you know you'd so uh sorry it's just it's a tough subject uh for some people and I just wanted to put that out there you know for those of you who may listen and who are struggling with your sexuality um you know just kind of want to put out a little trigger warning um, in the show American Horror Story, uh, I already forgot which one. I think it's the one where they're in the psych ward, okay? And, 
Lana Winters, Lana, Lena, I don't know, Lana Winters, uh, the reporter who ends up getting stuck in the psych ward and she's there with bloody face. Um, he tries to, before she finds out he's bloody face, obviously, um, he tries to do aversion therapy because they find out that she's a lesbian and the only reason why they would let her out of the asylum is that if she was cured of her gayness, which is very, very incorrect. You can't be cured of that, obviously, people. Um, but what he was trying to do was he was giving her some type of drug and showing her pictures of women, either in bikinis or they were naked or, you know, just something that he believes would have turned her on. Um... And he believed that by giving her this, uh, like, medicine or something, it was making her sick. It was making her, like, it was inducing vomiting and nausea every time he'd show her pictures. So he'd administer the medication and then show her pictures. And then um, she'd end up getting nauseous and throwing up. And so that's how he believed that he could get her to... Uh, associate to do classical conditioning uh, to associate seeing naked women or half naked women as something that's repulsive Um, which was actually very disturbing if you think about it because if they were to actually read anything into uh, Ivan Pavlov's research they would understand that there is extinction that there is um, if they don't continuously do this to that person like for the like until the end of time or at least like like consistently then they're just going to go right back to their original unconditioned response and stimulus um which is really really sad but let's see that's one of the ones that I wanted to kind of cover is that um pretty much disproving Continuous, continuing to disprove aversion therapy, uh, at least when it comes to uh, trying to, quote-unquote, cure the gay, because that can't be cured. Um, but yeah, so that's an example of this, you know, classical conditioning um, in the real world. Um, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to let you guys go for like three seconds uh, because I got to get ready and I got to get my coffee and I got to drop Luna off but I will see you in three two one so I'm not sure what it is about the driving that is causing all this static in the background but um, I just got my coffee from Starbucks I got a grande cold brew with oat milk and brown sugar syrup and that makes it the most basic beverage I will probably get and drink and it's always going to be my go-to because it'll give me enough energy and enough sweetness for me to like you know get through the day but um and I got it from Starbucks I know but I got it uh I had to rush into work so I couldn't really stop at any of the other places that I wanted to stop, like the Bearded Bean or Coffeeville. But there are a few more 
coffee shops that I've found locally, both in Watsonville and in Salinas, because I work in Salinas and I live in Watsonville. So, um, looking into those coffee shops to see if I can uh, make it there in time. Like, super, early. like I had to get up a little bit earlier to go and get them and then review their coffee and then tell you guys about it and then continue on my uh, discussions regarding classical conditioning um, or you know any other kind of psychological topics that I can come up with in the near future or in the next pod- podcasts I see I can't even talk right now but um, but yeah so like there's hidden fortress coffee shop that's in Watsonville there's blossoms farmhouse um, in Salinas there is Park Row Cafe there is obviously the bearded bean there's Jack's Coffee. Um, what else is there in Watsonville? But anyways, so like, oh, like there's like the Bagel Cafe. I know they have coffee there, and I could to- totally go there and get a bagel as well and rate their bagels too. But I mean, if you're from Watsonville, I'm sure you know that the bagels are bomb there. Like, it's just fantastic. But anyways, so um, I'm going to continue to drink my coffee. I just wanted to add this little segment so that I can uh, just kind of guys a heads up on what the coffee segment's going to be like in the near future. So here we go. We're going to just jump right back into classical conditioning and how it applies or how, and how it has real world applications to society in the present. Okay. So enjoy. All right. All right. We got our coffee. We're able to relax and start the second segment of this podcast. (laughs) So I originally talked about um, Ivan Pavlov and the experiment he had with dogs and salivation, conditioning, you know, classic conditioning, you know, unconditioned stimulus, all that jibber-jabber. I feel like I've said jibber-jabber already one too many times. Um, And although I did have some applications to like the real world, uh, I also wanted to dig a little deeper um, and use a little bit more examples as to how this can be helpful and detrimental. Um, I know I talked about Jim and Dwight and then uh, American Horror Story, um, but in the real life, in in the real life, in the simulation that we're all living in right now. Uh, No, but like in real life, a lot of the times you can notice when um, classical conditioning is being used. So um, specifically in relationships. So in my personal opinion, um, unless you have discussed with uh, your partner or the person you are seeking, um, that you want to use a classical conditioning approach to better your relationship or to, um, I don't know, just, yeah, just better your relationship. Um, it's basically manipulation. So, um, you can use, you can use classical conditioning and, uh, Ivan's experiments to apply to your own personal life. Um, obviously I gave the example earlier that, um, you know, you can make or break a habit by using classical conditioning. Um, but a lot of people, a lot of sociopaths can also use classical conditioning to their benefit and not, 
you know, it's, it's manipulating somebody else. So for example, okay, if you are a person who is seeking another person and, you know, you want to get them to say yes on, you know, you taking them out on a date, um, one way to use classical conditioning is to, let's say, uh, every Tuesday you bring them a donut, you know, because you know they love donuts. Um, every Tuesday morning you bring them a donut and you, when you hand them the donut, uh, you give them a compliment and they're like, wow, that's great. You know, donut compliment, donut compliment, donut compliment. Um, after a while, if you do it consistently enough, you'll, you can just give them a donut and no compliment and it'll get their mind jogging. Um, they'll realize that they feel secure with you, that they feel comfortable with you, they can let your guard down with you, all because you've been bringing them a donut and then providing them with a compliment every time, or every Tuesday. Um, so that can create a false connection to somebody because if they are not aware of your intentions and let's say you've asked them on a date and they kept saying no and now you're just trying to play like the nice person, um, again, that's manipulation. Um, so just make sure that if you do use classical conditioning that all parties are aware of the, uh, you don't have to say it so, you know, barbarically like, oh, I'm going to use classical conditioning to make our relationship better. No, you can just be like, you know what, we can work. And you know, when people say that they're going to work on their relationship with their significant other, or when people say, you know what, I want to take things really slow. Um, I am willing to date you, but I want to take things slow. Then you can say, cool, well, maybe we can try this or that. And you give ideas as to what you can do. So let's say if somebody does say you want to take things slow and then you say, well, how about, um, every Tuesday we go on a coffee date and it's just a simple coffee date and you just sit down, chit chat, have your coffee, and then go about the rest of your day. That's a way of kind of showing classical conditioning where there's consent on both sides. Um, because at least they're aware, you know, they're, you're taking it slow. You're starting with coffee. Um, and you know, you can let it progress from there. Uh, sooner or later, you know, who knows, it'll progress into a beautiful relationship that you guys both consented to. But otherwise, it's just not good. It's like, or like if, um, you know, a married couple, oh, no. <gasps> oh, no. Let me pause. I'm so sorry. Okay, guys, I'm back. <laughs> So I've worn an anklet for like the last, I don't know how many years. My parents brought me back this little threaded anklet from Mexico. And it's been on my ankle for years, years, years. I've never taken it off. And it just ripped right now. It just ripped. And that made me really, really sad. Because now I don't have an anklet and I feel naked. Oh my God, this makes me so sad. But let's get back to the topic at hand. So I was using examples um, as to how classical conditioning can help you in romantic relationships. Um, of course, both parties need to be aware of the classical conditioning that is going on. Otherwise, it is considered manipulation. And if you notice, 
that all of a sudden somebody's acting differently or they're doing something that's very consistent in order to trigger an emotional response from you. Uh, it could quite possibly be that they're trying to manipulate you into doing something that you are not consenting to or comfortable with. Um, so it's also like, um, uh, an actually funnier, or I think it's funny, um, but a good way to show an example of classical conditioning, all right, um, is when women say that they can cook and they can clean and they use that as almost a trap to get men to like them. Um, you know, they'll cook for them. You know, a way through a man's heart, a way to a man's heart is through his stomach kind of thing. Um, and they cook and they clean and they do all of this like wifey stuff. And, um, and then they got him, you know, but let's be real here, people. Um, that, that only goes so far, you know, if you're going to make somebody fall in love with you just because you can cook and clean, uh, you also need to be able to provide an uh, intellectual stimulus or just a, a compatibility compatibility with each other. Um, you know, build yourself up as well instead of just trying to be like, oh, I can cook and clean, and that should be enough to get a man. You know, and it's not. You know, you also have to have a good personality that's compatible with another personality, and you also don't want to attract the type of man who only wants a woman who can cook and clean. You know. Uh, you're not his mother, <laughs> you know, like he should be able to cook and clean for himself as well. Uh, and that, you know, obviously goes both ways. Women, you can't just expect a man to cook and clean and that be the perfect man. You need to have compatibility. So it, it you know, double-sided, there's two sides to every coin and I think it goes both ways. Um, but that's another example of classical conditioning where you kind of go, oh, I can cook and clean or, or I can build a shed and, you know, put nails in walls and I don't know what the hell else. I mean, I don't know that kind of stuff, but like, yeah, I can fix doors and I can change the oil on your car. And like, that's all kind of like classical conditioning. Oh, I'm good at all of these things. And you know, I'm now husband material or, you know, partner material. Cause you have to apply to all, um, all, Oh my God, I just lost my train of thought. Um, you have to apply to all situations. But um, but yeah, that's all great and all to be able to know how to cook or clean or change the oil in a car or change tires or drill holes in walls and build sheds and all that stuff. That's all great to have. Those are things that you should have. That's a, Those are traits that every human being should have. You also need to have a good personality that's compatible because otherwise you're going to look down the barrel of the relationship uh, 20 years from now and you're going to go, where did it all go wrong? Why are we so different? And it's like, you know, you guys went into the relationship solely for the reasons that are for, you know, your, uh, existential benefit, not for your soul, you know? So you always have to be with people because they delight you and you enjoy their company and their views are the same as yours. So, um, that's my little my little example into the real world. Um, but yeah. That concludes our 
discussion on classical conditioning. I don't know why I call it a discussion because I'm just discussing this with myself right now and you guys are just listening. It's not like you guys can give me very much feedback, but <laughs> uh, that ends the discussion about classical conditioning and Ivan Pavlov's uh, experiments with dogs and the conditioned reflex and how it all has a real world application to us nowadays. Um, I want to add that I think we should do an affirmation at the end of every episode because it's always good to do affirmations at the end of episodes. So, two days, affirmation for, let me see, I wrote them all down like a dork because I like to do that but I just lost it so <laughs> oh, this is great you guys are really gonna enjoy this but I swear by episode 10 this is gonna be tits it's gonna be great but <laughs> so here we go um, a great affirmation that we're going to do today is I create a safe space oops I create a safe and secure space for myself wherever I am. And one way that we can make this affirmation uh, come to light is one, to say it every morning, or not every morning, but to say it, I create a safe and secure space for myself wherever I am. Um, one thing I like to do, which is a little weird, is I put it into my, I, you know, mentally put it into my coffee or my water that I drink in the morning. Um, and I'll speak it into the coffee. So I'll be like, you know, by drinking this coffee, uh, I will create a safe and secure space for myself wherever I am. And then I drink the coffee and it brings it to light. It kind of, um, does almost like a classical conditioning for myself. It's a habit that I create so that I know that I'm going to create a safe safe and secure space for myself wherever I am. And I know that this last little segment kind of crashed and burned, but I am learning and so are you that, uh, you know, I'm crazy. So again, we create a safe and secure space for ourselves wherever we are, people. All right, that closes it. Okay. Thank you guys for coming. I really appreciate you guys listening. Remember to take your vitamins. Remember to drink your water. And don't take no shit from anybody. Okay. Love you. Okay, bye.